hello and welcome to a new year of the Stanford Politics Podcast. I'm, Ob- I'm Omni Kakar. I'm Justin Fortella. And I'm Rip Livingston. Back from uh, furloughed, being furloughed <laughs> from the podcast. Not due to a shutdown, but due to being in Paris, being abroad, which was lovely. But happy to be back. And... Unfortunately, Harrison, our other co-host, is now in Oxford for the quarter. Slot places. The podcast is worldwide. <laughs> um, so we're, he's on a he's he's studying and gathering hot takes on Brexit, which we will relay to you next time. <laughs> Coming full force with Brexit takes. Yeah, we're glad you're with us. <laughs> All right, so. Our number one item on the agenda is we're going to go around and talk about some of the big things that have come up in the news politically since uh, the show was last on air in the fall. Yeah, well, my top news story is extremely recent, very, very big in the media, et cetera, right now. And that is the government shutdown, which obviously has what? been- Shocking. That is so unique. I know. It is She dug hard for that story, <laughs> guys. She went through the archives. It's been an obscure topic, you know. But um the government has been shut down. It is the longest shutdown in history of all time of the entire United States of America. Um and essentially it is because Trump just like refuses to sign a budget bill that does not include $5.7 billion for a wall between America and Mexico. Thoughts, comments, concerns? Yeah, it's. I think it's ridiculous and crazy, and um, I think it's economically really concerning what the impacts on uh, our economy. I, I just think like you read story after story that just extends the network of the economic impacts of the shutdown, not only on just the personal stress and financial hardship of families who aren't getting paychecks and can't afford to miss those paychecks, but the vendors that those families patronize, uh, the taxi drivers in D.C. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on of people who are affected by the shutdown. And um, it's 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 ridiculous, I think. And at this point, I think there is blame to be had on both sides, to be honest with you. I mean, I think it's Trump's fault. Um, but I think, I think it's, I just think it's at a point now where like the government needs to be opened and at some point there needs to be something else to give, but like, I don't think there is blame. Like, sure. You can say like Democrats should have approved some sort of bill just to get the government open again, but that bill would also include like, like Tons of taxpayers would have to pay way more taxes in order for like a stupid wall to be built, like in this scenario. That's not true. I mean, they, the ta- taxes want to go up, and to be honest, like five billion dollars for the government is not a lot of money. I just think, I don't know what, and I don't support. To be clear, I don't support building a wall, and I, I, I don't support compromising on like building a wall to open the government. But I, I'm just like, surely there is a compromise. That appropriates money for border security or yeah yeah I, the thing is like I totally agree with that but Trump has said that he's not going to sign anything yeah that's true that so maybe have a wall yeah in it. so that's true so like I can totally see a compromise in which Trump gives increased um, support for Dreamers in America but gets a lot more money for like border security things but he said that he would not sign anything that doesn't have a wall in it and he said like I remember this quote. I am proud to shut down the government for border security. I will be the one to shut down the government. Right, I'm right. not going to blame you for it. I will take the mantle. Right. Which is like, like after that, Schumer yeah. said that like we shouldn't shut down, shut like we shouldn't deprive millions of people's like people of paychecks. But Trump said, yeah. like I'm fine. Well, but- so maybe I should revise a little bit and say I don't think there's blame to be had on both sides. I think it's time. To- I think I would like urge Democrats to like, and maybe they are doing this, but just like. I just think it, the government really needs to reopen, like really yeah. earnestly come yeah. to the table and try to make something happen. I'm kind of surprised um, that there hasn't been a compromise at this point, because I think like the running narrative on the Democratic side is that the wall is ineffective and we're basically taking $5 billion and burning it, right? But if the Democrats could reach a compromise where they either A, get like a revamped DACA, which affects like 800,000 people, or if they were to even press for like passage of the Voting Rights Act that they're trying to get passed through, like both of those legislations seem like they would be worth five billion dollars, right? Like 
if you had to like if you presented Nancy Pelosi with an agreement where the government spends five billion dollars and they get DACA back, she would sign it almost immediately. Right. But and I if think the wall is going to do nothing, then it just seems like a quid pro quo. But I think. But I them. feel like the I feel like the issue. I mean, I, I mean, I know the the five because five billion dollars is nothing. I mean, five billion dollars is is like petty cash to the federal government. You know. And so like it's like, symbol. it's not the money. Yeah, it's the symbol. It's, it's symbol. right. It's, it's the wall. It's the symbolism. It's saying like... We don't care about Mexico. We don't care about other countries. Right. We it's it's the symbolism, I think. that, And that's what I... That's what I mean. I That's what I agree. I mean, I, I support secure borders, but I think a wall is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, both in the, I, I do think that, like, if you're at a point where a president is able to get democratically elected on, like, almost... His largest campaign... Elected seems like a stretch. His primary campaign platform is that he's going to like build a wall between the US and Mexico. So we're talking about a policy that has maybe not 50% support, maybe not 45% support, but like a hefty hefty lot of Americans support this policy. It's, then it doesn't seem like actually, that much um, of a stretch to say like, "Oh, we're willing to value this symbol over like 800,000 people being affected by DACA if that symbol has like such wide support." And again, is a symbol that has no like utilitarian consequences. I think the actual stats are 56% support and 40%. No, 56% do not want a wall and 40% do want a wall. Um, which, like, I would say, like, a 15% difference, 16% difference is, like, non trivial. I just think the contrast between. I think the contrast that Democrats have to draw between themselves and their, the GOP at this juncture with, like, this specific policy is, is crucial. You know what I mean? Like, I think if they, I think if Democrats give on, like, okay, like, we'll give you your wall. I think, I almost just think it's like there's a lot lost there in terms of like where they draw the line in terms of like what the party wants this country to be. Yeah, and it, like the the thing is like in this scenario, like I don't even I don't blame the Republican Party. I blame like Trump specifically because the Republicans. Uh, I blame the Republican Party. No, they passed a bill that didn't have border funding in it. The Senate passed it. And then yeah. Trump refused to sign it. Well, they but then now they won't they won't pass it again. They won't bring it to the floor because he's not going to sign it. Right, but if Mitch McConnell said, Mitch, I mean, the Senate could override the veto. It's I, I totally blame the Republican Party. Wait, do they wait? Do they have enough for a veto override? I mean, Republicans in this, yeah. I mean, combined with the Democrats, of course. They yeah, do. of course they do. Oh shit, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I 100% blame the Republican Party. Yeah, okay. I blame them all. So do I. <laughs> I. I think it's called, like, throughout the shutdown, sort of an interesting, I guess, like, political philosophy question of, I guess there's, like, three things you could say are true. You could say, like, shutdowns are bad and morally rehem- reprehensible in, like, all situations, right? Like, mm-hmm. there there shouldn't even be a clause that allows for the government to shut down and we should, like, close that loophole. That shouldn't be a political bargaining chip. You could believe that government shutdowns are good if you think that, the policy is, like, okay. And, like, so, like, people that advocated for the government being able to shut down because of Medicare are now disapproving of it because they think something like a wall is frivolous. Or you could believe that, like, the power of the shutdown should always be something that's on the table. Um, And I think it's, like, important to answer that sort of first-order question before you try to analyze, like, how good is the policy. Because if you don't believe that the shutdown should ever be able to be used, then it doesn't matter how good the policy is. Um, I don't think the government should be able to shut down. I just, yeah, I agree no, with Avni, but yeah. I don't think just because, I don't think just because I believe the government should never be shut down as a political bargaining chip that it, like, then obligates me to, like, philosophically, uh, you know, concede a point in order to reopen the government. Exactly. Because I think we're working within, like, a set of oh, real, no, 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 real no, circumstances. Oh, no, 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 I totally agree. I'm just saying, like... Like, that's a sort of position that can align with, like, the position you've already laid out, which is that, like, right. we should be trying to reopen the government. But because, like, the party using the Democrat, like, the government shutdown as a bargaining chip is morally at fault, then, like, we don't have to concede to that because, like, they're basically doing the equivalent of, like, a political temper tantrum. Right. But, like, in the future, you also have to hold steady to that opinion if, say, like, a Democrat were trying to shut down the government over, like— you know, like a mass incarcerations overhaul or like, you know, lowering the price of prescription drugs or something that you like. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. I think what's crazy is that there is it's like entirely possible that by the end of this, the cost of the wall will be equivalent to the amount of like productivity loss in America and like 
I would. I don't I would, have any data be, in front of me, but I would wager that's already the case. That's and already the case. If you if you do have data, I would be very interested in you sharing it with the world. Like in January 11th, <laughs> at, at January 11th, I think it would cost the American economy 3.6 billion dollars. I mean, okay, U.S. annual GDP is on the order of 17 trillion divided yeah. by 12 monthly. That's what, like one and a half ish trillion. Um, divide that by a week, like we're at, you know. But it's not the entire economy bi- I mean, isn't shut down. Yeah, like, and not even, right. Of course, like, but I'm just giving the- for a frame of reference, like five billion in the terms of like annual, not five billion. Sorry, um, you know, yeah, yeah. No, we are talking about the number five billion. Yeah, like in the, the in, in the context of the U.S. like gross domestic product is minuscule. Yeah. yeah, I also think it's definitely true that like the government isn't that shut down. Like, all of the essential services are still up and running, right? Like, it's not like the military's taking a little break. Well, no, of course, yeah. but... Um, like, I think it's like $420,000, 420,000 workers aren't being paid. But, like, they do get paid eventually. Of course. Yeah. But, I mean, think about how many of them are... So, I mean, I, I don't think it's the people that are working without pay that deliver the impact. It's the people who aren't working at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, like, it's admittedly, like, like bad and shit. Yeah. We shouldn't yeah. be down. But, like, I think that there are, like, I've seen conflicting takes. I've seen, like, libertarians who are, like, the government's shut down and nothing bad is happening. Therefore, <laughs> abolish the whole thing. And then there are, like, progressives who are, like, the world is literally burning down. Rand Paul is like, keep it closed, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so my top story is Nancy Pelosi. Oh. As a concept. (laughs) No. So I I don't know if we had this conversation, or maybe you guys had this conversation while I was away. But that's um, a weird thing to confuse. Whether or not you were a part of a conversation or that it was a different conversation that you heard. It was had in this room. (laughs) Uh in this context. But or I I know for whatever, this is a moot point. Um I previously was of the opinion that Nancy Pelosi should not be elected Speaker of the House because she is um, old and, I mean, I don't say that as in like, you know, I'd like to think it's not a sexist, like, oh, she's old, I don't like her thing, but like, I just think she represents an old guard of Democratic leadership that I think is not necessarily what is the future of the Democratic Party. And I would like to say, I think I've been proven wrong. I think Nancy okay. Pelosi is okay. a first order badass and I think <laughs> she is really damn good at her job. And I just think the way that she needles Trump and the way that she I just like there is there is like lead, there is like genuine leadership in Washington because of her. And like I think that there is no other figure that could provide the same clout, experience uh, like confidence, self security that she provides because she is such a giant in and of herself that she, um, like Maggie Haberman tweets this a lot. Like the thing that Nan- the th- like the reason that Trump is so obviously intimidated by Pelosi. Like if you notice, he never calls Pelosi a name. He'll say crying Chuck and Nancy, but he never says like nasty Nancy. He never says. I mean, how easy would that be? Nasty Nancy, like that's right up his alley. He's never said that. He respects Nancy <laughs> Pelosi, and he respects Nancy Pelosi because she could kick his ass and because she doesn't need him. And I think that that is something that no other person who could potentially be in her shoes um, could have going for them. No, I agree. And so I, I am very glad that she is a Speaker of the House. I respect her immensely. I think she is a badass. And I think it's really sort of great to have a person that's, like, in the Democratic Party that's, like, so high-ranking but, like, doesn't have presidential ambitions. So, like, I feel mm-hmm. like she doesn't, like, get tied up in that. That's very true. That, like, cattiness. She's not running for president. Exactly. Yeah. Um, she could become the president if uh, if they both die. Two birds and one stone. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, just the way that she hits him, too. She hits him, like, right where it hurts. Like... She said um, when, when, you know, he stormed out of their meeting and she said, look, I'm a mother of five and a grandmother of like a bunch. I don't know how many, like 15. Like I know a temper tantrum when I see one. Great line. When she says, uh, you know, these federal workers need paychecks. They can't just borrow a million dollars from their father. Great line. Uh, you know, when she like she just knows how to like hit him. And it just gives me a lot of joy. 
uh, in a superficial way and in a genuine, like, I'm really glad we actually have some leadership in Washington way. Yeah. So that's my hot take on uh, on Nancy Pelosi. And she's so close to us. Maybe we can just knock on the door. I know, right? And, and that like, coat. You guys know the coat. I don't know the coat. Oh, my God. What? Do you guys <laughs> read the news? When she walked out of the White House after that meeting and she was wearing that orange, burnt orange coat with those glasses and had her hands in her pockets and was just like, what? I don't know. All right. Well, I'm I'm the I, only one I, who- uh, I also don't know what you're talking okay. about. Okay. Oh, oh, I've seen this photo. I've seen this photo. With the sunglasses, but she's yeah, like putting yeah. them on. Yeah. Like a Mission Impossible, like walking out of the exploding building type yeah. thing. I can't yeah. believe you guys haven't seen that before. I'm the only one who reads the newspaper in this room, so <laughs> that's fine. But here's, anyway, <laughs> here's my Nancy Pelosi take. I think, as, yeah, on the whole, like legislation that she's um, put forward, like she talked about possible areas of common ground, like the infrastructure bill, um, the Voting Rights Act stuff, I think is really, really important. But I also think that the way that, like the leadership of the Democratic Party's rhetoric has sort of morphed around the shutdown has been less than ideal. Uh, I think they've taken the stance mostly that shutdown is bad because shutdowns are bad, right? That like all of these workers are out of the job and like she's really honed in on the idea that shutting down the government is a bad thing, which I think has lost her a lot of legitimacy, especially when like people see her and Chuck Schumer, same people who were advocates of the government shutdown under Obama, when I think they could be very much trying to sway public opinion on the immigration issue. And I don't think I've seen that sort of argumentation. Like, even when her and Chuck, like, had the American people in... Chuck. <laughs> um, on a first-name basis. Yeah, me and Chucky Schmucky. But you're not even from New York, so he's not even your senator. All right, we'll talk about that later. Right? <laughs> but, yeah, I, I do think that they haven't really tried to take up the mantle of convincing people that they are right on immigration. Yeah. And I think most Americans think that they're right on immigration, right? Like, most people disapprove of, like, the way Trump is handling the shutdown, and, like, most most Americans want more immigrants. But I don't think I've seen them, like, go head-to-head in the public space, at least, on, like, how immigration should be handled and, like, why a wall is Yeah, that's a fair point. I think that's a fair point. Yeah. What do we think about... um, Nancy Pelosi's de- declaration or like letter to Trump where she was like, we're canceling the State of the Union. Yes, I what loved do we think it. About that? I loved it. I read that and I was like, oh my God. I liked it too, but to be fair, I think that the White House response uh, was like decent. Yeah. I mean, decent in the t- like strategically from like an objective, like, you know, who's punching harder point. I think they like gave a, pr- they like that was a decent idea. But it's also to come back and say, to, like, send the letter in the first place. No, I agree for sure. Um, but yeah, but then, you know, so I think there's a decent argument to me to be made of like, you know, no, like let Trump go up there and defi- like, let him try to defend the, like, g- let him go up and give a state of the union during a government shutdown. Like see if how that goes for caused him. For right. a month. Yeah. I think, I mean, from the democratic perspective, it's like, it's obviously not going Trump's way, right? Like the hefty majority of people blame him for the shutdown, much like he asked them to. And so I think they're best <laughs> off, like, riding the tide, right? Like, right. the compelling narrative at this point is that, like, people aren't getting paid and, like, Trump's throwing temper tantrums in the Oval Office. And to allow Trump to get up there and clear his name, especially when he's, like, a surprisingly and paradoxically persuasive speaker and, like, his last State of the Union got, like, rave reviews from, like, conservative pundits, like... Well, yeah, obviously. Well, I mean, it was... Um, a yeah. much more polished no, no, Trump speech than, I know what you mean. Than, I know like, what you mean. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the conservative pundits were like, oh, my God, <laughs> or, you know, over, like, just over the moon. But then even Democratic pundits were like, he was presidential tonight. Yeah. Like, if Trump is one for one in delivering, like, respectable State of the Unions and, like, oh for a million in, like, keeping his cool in every other setting. Yeah, like, very true. I think the I, one I room they want to keep him out of is I agree. Hill. I agree. I agree. Okay. Okay, Justin, what was your top story? So my top story since we last convened is actually Brexit. Um, so okay. for those who aren't in the British politics loop, um, Theresa are you, are May— you, Are you in that loop? I'm like, I'm. what am I? I'm like ITP. <laughs> you are. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> a yeah, Atlanta ge- geography humor. Um, basically, Theresa May recently survived a vote of no confidence, barely squeaking by, keeping the government— um, the government is, the current standing Theresa May government is viewed pretty unfavorably, but not more unfavorably than like your average incumbent um, 
like prime ministership would be. Um, Corbyn's gaining a little bit in terms of popularity, but the major thing is that nothing is happening. Right. They are at a complete dead standstill. They have been so for months. Um, the call for a second render- referendum on Brexit is very much increasing. Um, most polls are showing that the majority of Brits believe that there should be another referendum, and a lot of the people that originally voted to leave are like showing pollsters that they would rather stay now, especially because like when you have a year to think about it and it's all over the news, like the economic impact of like a, yeah. a new EU exit is kind of. But like the its irony teeth. of all of that is that the pollsters all said that the the like leave or stay vote would go stay. Yeah, exactly. Which is why it's so, like it's such a weird position. I mean, you know. And like that's the predominant rhetoric coming out of like the May position, which is like the people have decided pollsters don't know what they're talking about, like fake news and all that. Right. Um but the fact that they're unwilling to call for a second referendum is kind of telling. Like the fact that they won't let the people vote again. Yeah. And so the Tell British- elaborate. Telling Yeah, like they just rule because ref- so basically you need a majority in parliament to be able to like call for a second referendum right and none of the may party is willing to do that like conservatives right. are saying like no absolutely not there's no way whereas everyone is pushing against it and that's what the no confidence because vote they're was. afraid that it will they're afraid they're gonna lose yeah right. and that the vote will be to stay yeah exactly and like it seems like both sides think that a new referendum would result in stay um, interesting but yeah and yeah. the uk economy remains unstable at best yeah this I, is, oh, I read um, for a class I was in. We read some some uh, some analysis of Brexit, and I believe the number was that if Brexit, if there was a No Deal Brexit, so if that means if the UK just sort of like dropped out of the EU with no sort of like uh, like supporting agreements to sort of protect the ease of trade and uh, transport of goods between the UK's economy and the rest of Europe's economy with the EU, that the UK economy would shrink by like 9% or something in a year, which is crazy. I mean, so for people who don't, I I think I always take for granted that I like take all these econ classes and like (laughs) think about GDP growth. (laughs) Anyway, but if you're listening and you don't know, like the US GDP grows at like two three percent like on good years like four percent is what conservatives say was going to happen after the tax plan which is not the case uh france's economy grows at like uh like a percent and a quarter a year anyway moral of the story is nine percent is like a lot for the economy to shrink like devastating uh is is the the is the word so one thing in if if anyone is like particularly worried about Brexit in any real way, like what's interesting has been the fact that betting markets from July to like the end of this year haven't changed on the actual odds of Britain leaving the EU. Interesting. Um, there have been like some fluctuations in like whether or not there'll be a no deal Brexit or like how would like the specifics will pan out, but it's hovered at around sixty to percent to two thirds. So where's your money? Uh, Beto. <laughs> I don't know how Beto Hot plays take. it. Hot take. <laughs> Beto plus Brexit. All in. Okay. So does that round out our top stories? Yeah, I think it does. I think so. I think it's pretty good overall coverage. We got some global news, domestic news, political news, some economics in there. Dropped the Rip word GDP. Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> yeah, we learned that Riff has like a very, very, very large political crush on Nancy Pelosi. Hey. Do you think there's anyone else you have as large of a political crush on? Uh, oh God, um, I'll have to think. But right now, no. <laughs> no one touches Nancy. It was the coat. The coat and the glasses. How and the glasses. the glasses. All right. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna give in to. I'll let Ofni introduce this segment. Um, I don't think we should be having this segment because it just reinforces exactly what we're criticizing. But we're going to talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who has received a lot of media attention since her election to the House of Representatives. Even before her election, to be honest. Yeah, like the as whole she like, won the, nomination, the campaign. Which, I yeah. mean, effectively meant she was elected. But you Exactly. Know. 
Yeah, I think I, as a media influencer <laughs> and political personality, I'm going to use my okay. power to argue that real media personalities and people with actual influence should just like stop talking about her as much. I I don't I don't mind like I think there's this tendency for people on the right to boogeyman her and people on the left to hail her when I think neither are true, right? Like she is a somewhat interesting, very progressive candidate from a very progressive district in New York. Um and like she has political ideas, some of them are good, some of them are bad. Right. But like on average, her opinions are no more bad than if you just grabbed a random congressperson from anywhere and asked them to list all of their opinions. Um, And I think what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez kind of exemplifies is that like very few people in Congress are experts on things. A lot of them just like have opinions that aren't really grounded in like a ton of research. Um, But I think trying to draw any extrapolations beyond that is just sort of like. But I would say it's different because I think that she. I, so I agree with your coverage thing, and I agree with what you say about. Um, I agree with most of what you said, but I think, I think the difference, uh, or you know, I should preface this with how I like generally feel about her, which is like positive, but like not extra positive. Mm-hmm. Like, like I think she's a remarkably talented politician, and I think represents a lot of what like our politics should become, which is more. Uh, like normal, you know, quote unquote, normal people entering politics from, uh, you know, like average means and um, a more like honest sort of like entry into the political world, uh, like working hard and, and campaigning and like getting grassroots support. Yeah. Uh, rather than like turning to a career in politics, which you know may, may be what she's doing. I mean, she's like twenty nine, so yeah. she's also remarkably civilized for someone that's like received all the attention that she has. Like, she's one of the few people that's like in the limelight twenty four seven. That's like, yeah. Wait, hate. what do you mean civilized? Like, she's taking it very well. Like, she's yeah. receiving like nonstop yeah. hate. Whereas, like, I think some other people have been yeah. a little bit more knee jerk. Yeah, I mean, I think, it's and I think the way, like, this is her very first ever like term in any sort of political right. office. Yeah. Right. And I mean I think I think yeah. a lot of what she's doing is taking she's she's the the guinea pig for like what it's going to be like when um like millennials get elected to Congress, which is like going to happen more and more. Like the video came out of her um dancing on like a rooftop. Like that's to, a, a to lot of mania. And I that Right, that which was like cute fantastic. and like joyful and like obviously very vanilla and the fact that conservatives like used it as an attack was funny and I think she handled it extremely well. Um, but I think like I, I read a great article in the Atlantic that was like this is actually a good and like the the scandal where like the Daily Caller posted like fake nude photos of her. Um, and basically the whole point is like okay with this new generation like there's gonna be like photo and video media of these people that are being gonna be elected to Congress that's uh, you know like not professional. Quote. Some of it may be like innocent, like dancing on a roof. Some of it may be like less so innocent. Yeah, I would imagine that like um, we've, this is farther on the innocent scale. And I would imagine like, at, like if you would imagine like all of your friends being elected to Congress in 10, 20 years, there's probably far more compromising video and images available. Um, or if we can imagine right. if, if Brett Kavanaugh <laughs> um, had social media. That's a great point. Like, that's a great yeah. point. What would happen? Um, Anyway, so I think she's getting just a lot. Like I think she just has become like the sacrificial lamb for a lot of that, like you know, evolution of politics. Yeah. I think she has a re- a little bit of a rhetoric prop. Like I I I don't appreciate some of her rhetoric. I think she like, um, I think she deals in like a lot of generalizations. I, I wouldn't say misinformation, but I think like she plays on a lot of sort of popular social movements more so than like really data-driven policy yeah, um and is much more ideological than pragmatic which i think is something to be respected and like we need in the congress but it's not as much my personal like political brand uh but I, in general i like her i mean i you know i think she has good ideas i think um you know do i like agree with a 70 percent marginal tax rate for top earners like probably not but um I think I respect the fact that she's like, let's go there. Like, let, I'm I'm just gonna say this and like push the conversation that way. You know, like I I think that's okay. Um, I think it's less okay when she makes blatant like misstatements with numbers and in interviews and like plays down the importance of those numbers as she's yeah. done many times. Um, I agree. I think it's really interesting to see 
like exactly like seeing this is like a taste of the next 10 years when like more and more millennials get elected into office as well as sort of you know what people are calling the quote-unquote like changing face of the democratic party um which is like sort of a departure from you know maybe like the nancy pelosi's of the world and watch it (laughs) more you know a bit more like the more socialist-leaning Bernie, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Warren sort of segment of the party. Right. That is, like, obviously becoming more and more, or at least, I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't call, like, three people, like, three elected officials, like, it's, like, revolutionizing the party. But I would say, like, they're getting an yeah. immense amount of, like, media attention. Yeah. And people associate them with a much larger right. portion of the party than they actually right. are. I, I agree with that 100%. Like John Favreau from uh, Pods of America, big fan. John, if you're listening, uh, come on the pod. Just come <laughs> hang out, whatever. Whatever you want to do. Let's go to dinner. Um, <laughs> uh, where was I going with that? Um, <laughs> he often reminds people on Twitter that Obama has a 95% approval rating among Democrats. And Obama is like a neoliberal capitalist. 100%. You know what I mean? Which, and yes. I, I, you know, I'm a, I don't say that critically at all. I'm a yeah, huge Obama no, you're fan. Right. But, you know, like, don't forget, like, the Democratic Party is not AOC. It's, uh, it's, I think, it, you know, it's much more in the stripe of Barack Obama. Yeah, the fact that Pelosi is the Speaker of the House shows that that's, like, sort of where. Yeah, AOC voted for her. Yeah, that is where the, like, the center of the party lies. Right. Um, which I think people forget very often, especially like with her election. They're like, people are like, she's so young. She also looks incredibly young, which mm-hmm. I like want to know her skincare routine. But like, um, yeah. And like, did you see when the people on Fox were like, is she going to run for president? <laughs> and no one brought up the fact that she's <laughs> not constitutionally <laughs> old enough. She's yeah. 29. I, it almost feels like a lot of conservatives want her to be the face of the party so that they have yeah. like a a good whipping post. Yes, yes, um, yes. But at the same time, like I don't think I think that it's not mutually exclusive to say that is true, but also that like she should very much not become the face of the party. Like like I one I can I think let like the wave of economic theory that she's on is bad, right? And like I think people should be like more inclined towards capitalism than like Right. Like I don't, I don't think having socialist, uh, like auras running through the Democratic Party is necessarily a good thing. And I think Republicans are right to sort of like be Auras. very jumpy when they see those popping up. But I think they've kind of overstepped, um, like where their anger should lie. I think I think the people in the Republican Party who are scared of socialism, don't understand socialism. And I think that the people in the Democratic Party who are scared of capitalism don't understand capitalism. And I think this like obnoxious dichotomy that we've developed somehow in the popular political debate of like socialism versus capitalism is dumb. Yeah, and like I it, it seems so like, it seems like who such cares? A f- like let's just make smart changes to the like to the to policies that like make people's lives better. And like I also think that it it sort of seems as though um there is some playing into the hand like more people today self-describe as socialists than like at any other time in history right and like that's kind of ridiculous right like in the u.s yeah exactly in the u.s like most of those people like the republicans are right to point out like don't really understand economics to the degree that someone should like going back to this like status quo bias thing right like if you're trying to say that we should upheave the economic u.s system of the past 250 years in favor of like something that only worked once never and like maybe in russia but like you have to like really Talking my sh- language here. You really have to like strain <laughs> credulity to be like, yeah, socialism is the optimal system. But because like it seems like such a foregone conclusion, right? Like we figured this one out like when we were writing the Constitution. Like it seems right. strange that this is getting rehashed, right. but it's never being rehashed on a serious political level, right? Like there's no one in Capitol Hill being like, well, what if we did socialism, right? right. It's just like Ben Shapiro like owning libs on Twitter. That's right. That's exactly right. And, like, I think Republicans are very hasty to try to make it seem as if there's, like, mass socialist wave amongst, like, real people with political power when there is, in fact, not. (laughs) All right. So we're going to do something new. We are going to gamble with fake money (laughs) and put our money where our mouths are, uh, respectively. On the candidates whom we believe will win the 2020 Democratic nomination. 
Currently, the prize is eternal glory. Right. Maybe we'll we'll, we'll figure that out. But um, but so how this is going to work is we each have been allotted one hundred virtual dollars, and we are going to divide those dollars into different candidates uh, on whom we are betting. And just to be clear, this is a uh, hypothetical situation, and the rules of this betting game are not not fleshed out. So. All right, Perfect. who wants you, to start? Do you want to kick it off, Rip? <laughs> sure, I will. So, my choices are as follows. I am placing $50 on Joe Biden. That is I a am placing... strong... <laughs> very, strong take, but very, okay. Very bullish on the Biden market. Okay. <laughs> I am placing $25 on Kirsten Gillibrand. I am placing $15 on Beto O'Rourke. I am placing $10 on Elizabeth Warren, and I think that adds up to 100 Yes, it does. Uh, yeah. So, I, I just think Biden, I think he's going to enter the race. I think he has a, I, I think, I just think he, I think he can take on Trump in a way that the other people can't because he is an old white guy. And I hate that, but I think it's true. And I think he can stand on a debate stage with Trump and just tear him apart. And I think, I think it's just, I think that's the way it is. I would rather be. Let me qualify this and say if so. I I think we're what we're doing is we're betting on like prag, pragmatically, right? Like we're it's this is like a we're trying to win. Like who do we think is going to win? Like not who we want. Right. If I was picking who I want, I would say Gillibrand. I really like Kirsten Gillibrand. I think she is the real deal and great. But that's maybe for another time. Um, yeah, that's me. So uh, we're also going to keep track of this and then reveal who wins, like in this uh, one episode, and then also like. Uh, successively after uh, other episodes keep track of you know how that changes so who wants to go next first can i just say something quick about biden uh you can i'm gonna criticize him a little bit all right so i think something that we've seen in presidential candidates is like generally people who have won the presidential candidate in like the last like 20 years 15 20 years have not had a ton of experience in office before president because like clinton for example secretary of state people could throw back all the stuff that she did she has such a record that's true exactly and biden has a huge record and i think having that in this day and age is like not great i think the fact that like a record exists how much do people care though people People think, cared a lot about about Benghazi. About that's different. I think that's a Hillary unique. I think people just hate Hillary, and it. W- Biden doesn't have the same. Like Hillary has Benghazi. She has whitewater. She has like this long list of things where people have just been like, "We hate her. Let's take her down." And I think uh, I don't think it's the same thing. I think it's different. I think Biden has a long record, and I think it's actually not that bad. And I think things will you know probably come up about his record. Certainly, if he's being challenged from the left, which he will be, if this is all, you know, if he runs, obviously he's not confirmed, but um, I think that, like, I just, I don't think people care that much. I don't know. I think Yeah, I do. think it's, it's important to remember that, like, before, after, before and after 2008, before and after 2012, before and after 2016, like, Hillary has just been a very unpopular political candidate and person. Um, and, like, by the time 2016 came, she was by far the most unpopular Democratic, like, nominee for president ever. Um, yeah, and so I think she's just like anomalytic in that sense. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like even Obama, he was relatively, relatively new to the game. Yeah, and I think there's an appeal to like being new to the game that people support. Mm-hmm. Like people, like of course, like there's like always going to be a, like the people who generally like like tradition are Republicans, which is why we had two Bushes, you know, but. Right. Like, I, I mean, to be fair, we almost had two. I mean, if Democrats had their way, we'd have two Clintons. But we didn't. Well, right, but that's because of Republicans. Yeah, but like even then, the Democratic nomination anyway, was like that's a rabbit hole. Yeah, it was like very, very contentious. You know. Yeah, yeah. So where's your where's your where's your cash, Shavani? My cash. Lay it Ooh. down. My cash is on women. Okay. I feel like I really have to pull my weight here. I'm a double minority. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so. Sixty dollars on Gillibrand. Wow, hot! That I am is coming in strong. Steaming. Volcanic take. <laughs> that I, is magmas take. I am coming in hot for Gillibrand. Um, I'm gonna put five dollars 
on Cory Booker. Five. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Stanford alum. Also, we might want him back on the podcast. So yeah, that's why you gave him nothing. Me? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay, okay I gave him five. Fair enough. I almost like nothing is better than five. <laughs> I'm um, giving another five to Sherrod Brown. Oh, that's a good. That's good. And I'm giving thirty. I kind of forgot about to Sherrod Kamala Brown. Harris. Okay. Okay. And that is what how the cookie is crumbling. Yeah, you know. Okay. I'm just yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I kind of for like. You didn't think, put anything on Kamala. Harris, I think my right? strategy. Yeah, I think my strategy was more like. I didn't put anything on Biden. Make bigger bets on fewer rather than like make a little bit on everybody. I made a big one on Joel Brown. Yeah, I don't know. So. That I, I don't know. That <laughs> yeah, I, you guys are gonna hate mine. I don't make a single bet above twenty. Okay. Um. So with that, low risk tolerance. We know our economic profiles now. Uh. So I'm putting twenty on Kamala, Biden, and Beto respectively. Twenty on Kamala. Beto. Twenty on Beto. I love this first I'm, name basis. I'm bullish on Beto. Wait, honest, say, twenty is, on Harris, twenty on Beto, twenty on Biden. Biden. Yeah. Twenty. So okay, you're at sixty. Yeah. Fifteen on Bernie. Ugh. Disgusting. Ten on Warren and Klobuchar. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Slow down. I am trying to keep track. Okay, so you've got twenty on Harris, twenty on Beto, twenty on Biden, twenty on. Fifteen. Fifteen on Bernie. On Bernie. Fifteen on Bernie. Yeah. And then 10 on Warren and Amy Klobuchar. Okay. 10 on Warren. I honestly, I could have put Warren I could, Warren or Klobuchar in mine, but I just like Jilla Brandon Harris more. So. I think this is the most sensible, I think you have the most sensible picks. To be, I also, to have, be honest I with also you. have five on Cory Booker, just because, shout out yeah. Cory Booker. Shout <laughs> okay. out my home state senator, because um, I'd be super hyped if a New Jersey senator Cory Booker became is president. Right now? Here. No. Surprise. <laughs> I thought he was, he was going to bust out of like a birthday cake outside. He is road tripping through Georgia with John Lewis for MLK Day. Isn't Good that Lord. sick? Yeah. Wow. I, I, I say no appreciation. I don't know. Just, just he's totally trying to like, you know, he's totally running for president. Pander. Yeah. I okay. Think John Lewis should run for president, so, but that's not going to happen. He feels like maybe he's, I'll just hold my tongue on that one. Yeah, you should. I'd also like to point out that <laughs> if I were from any other state from New Jersey than New Jersey, I would. To be put, uh, to be would, really clear, that was an that was going to be an age comment, like not a race comment. <laughs> obviously, I just hope that's very clear to everyone. <laughs> Feels like that's important with John Lewis. Um, all right, so are we ready for the big totals? Because there are a lot of numbers with three yeah. people. Who has the most amount of money on them? I'm curious. Currently, Gillibrand's in the lead. Thank you. Oh, You're that's welcome. just because of Avni's. Yeah. Massive bet, but you know, to no, 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 wait, 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 yeah, yeah, no, that's true, that's true. Biden is in second, so Gillibrand's in lead with 85, Biden's second with 70, third, we've got Harris at 50, fourth, Beto with 35. Woo! Uh, then we have Warren with 20, Bernie with 15, Booker and Klobuchar tied at 10, and uh, Brown remains at five. Okay, you're welcome, Sherrod Brown. So I would like to I would like to hear from Justin on why you didn't put any money on Christian Gillibrand. And I want to know why you would put money on Beto. I think Beto has a remarkably good chance. I think if I had to like if I had he to has, siphon money away from like if you told me that like he lost in, in like Texas. No, but he he does not have like a position of political power in America right now. Sure, neither does Joe Biden. Like I, but think, he was the former vice president I of think, America. I just think Beto's thing is like, like you're fr- you really want this guy's first. Like, sure, we have Trump, but that should not be like our standard. His ploy. Well, you know, Beto's a congressman. Yeah, Beto's not like a political nobody. But like, I just think Beto's bid for the presidency would so obviously be like a parlay of like internet fame. You know what I mean? Beyonce. Like, I just think it's—I I don't think there's a lot of, like—I don't think it's substance of, like, this guy is really good on policy. Like, I think he is good on policy, but, like, I think it's more so just this guy's likable. He had some viral moments. He's kind of attractive. Um, Here's he, my political hot take. I think— Are you the, watching a football game right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> that people tend to vote, and I think that there's good data behind this. Football, dude. <laughs> Very— like much less on policy than you might anticipate. Be surrounded by three bros, just being dudes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> good time. Um, like individual policy propositions. Yeah. Um, 
and like individual policies that politicians agree or disagree with besides like some of the very few hot button ones like abortion which are kind of like litmus tests for various political parties are very often inconsequential in terms of like how much support they get in primaries and otherwise so much of like how primaries are run is like the overall vibe of a candidate and i think beto has like a phenomenal vibe i just don't think he can like i don't think he can coast to the nomination on just like like curse like saying the f word and like being charming and like handsome I mean, like, call call back to your thing on, like, Joe Biden, right? He's smart. He's an old white guy. He's, like, classical. He's well-positioned. He's principled. Beto's all those things, except old. Yeah, but Joe Biden has a lot of policy experience. Exactly. I don't think, like, if if your, like, bright line for, like, being able to perform well is to be able to, like, eviscerate Trump on, like, the argumentative level, like, I, I don't think that, like, the marginal addition in Biden's political experience is really going to help them. Like, if you know what you're talking about and you sound good, I don't think I don't. I also I don't, don't think Beto is um, a great. Like, I I think I think someone with a sharper edge like needs to win. Yes, and I think yes, that's an edge that Biden has. I think Gillibrand has it. Warren definitely has it. Mm-hmm. Harris definitely has it. I think Booker doesn't have it. I think. Uh, I don't know, sort of verdict out on Klobuchar. I honestly have like never seen Sherrod Brown talk, so no opinion wait, there. Wait, how would you define like this sharp edge? Just like I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like Avni. Do you know what I mean? Like I know exactly just something what you mean. like that willingness to to like cut a little bit, yeah, and not just be like like pull. Come blood. on, guys! Like let's work and like change <laughs> the world. You know, and that's like Beto's vibe, and I just don't. Really? I don't know. See, I would. Put I don't really Beto. buy what he sells. No, ba- I like, like him, but it's, he's not my guy. Beto became fa- like internet famous and has like. Like, I would say the only thing Beto has going for him is, like, maybe name ID, right? People know who he is. But when you put him in a field with people like Joe Biden that have phenomenal name ID, like, that like that benefit is, like, marginal. I also don't think Beto is as good of name ID as maybe people think he does. But yeah. also, neither do most. Is that true? Neither does most. Like, Kamala Harris doesn't have That's Christian very Gillibrand true. Gillibrand doesn't have name ID. That's true. The only person in the field who's, like, a political somebody is Joe Biden. It's Joe Biden. And maybe, like, Cory Booker if you're a little bit more Bernie plugged Sanders. in. Bernie Sanders. Dude, Bernie I think, Sanders, I, yeah, I think Warren has year. name ID. If but like, what? I think Warren has name if ID. If you're a little bit more plugged in. <laughs> but I also think, don't underestimate, like, how much age has to do with, like, a lot of the opposition to Biden. Like, people are very, very concerned about nominating him. I would rather not have a, a nominee his age. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's, like, I think um, very fair criticism. But, you know. And I think that fear gets assuaged with someone like Beto, and especially if you're not giving much, like, you're not giving that much up in terms of, like, enthusiasm, and you're not giving much up in terms, you're gaining in terms of, like, charisma. And, you know, if that's what people are voting off of, then, like, riding the Beto wave all the way to 2020. Having this conversation has made me want to shift all of my money to Beto, but I'm not no. going to because my political sensibilities okay. have it the best of me. Well, I genuinely Gillibrand is in the lead, which feels like a. Good it feels time. like. Feels like a great. No, time. it feels like a dishonest distortion from your like massive <laughs> bet on her. Yeah, I agree. Uh, um, I will say though, read the text of like the transcription of the answer she gave when she was asked about her Al Franken decision in Iowa. And I think it is remarkably well spoken. No, she's smart. She cuts. She has <laughs> like she, she has that balance. She's stone cold fox. I think something okay, this is so I think something that people I think got mad mad at Hillary for was her record. Right? Yeah. Like of being Secretary of State. Secretary of State inevitably means you're gonna have to Answer for anything things. that happens anywhere. That's no. true. And yeah. it also means you have to do some sketchy things as the Secretary of State. I don't know that that's really <laughs> true. <laughs> seems like a more lukewarm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, international yeah. affairs are extremely messy. I think you... I the think U.S. is that really I, whack. I, here's what I would say. I think there's a higher probability that someone who is working in the international affairs does something that could be very easily distorted as, like... Or just, like, sketchy. goes wrong. Yeah. 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 But I don't know. Like, there's just sketchy. like a higher variance of terms I think, of play. I think they do some sketchy. I just think Kristen Gillibrand, I think she has. You're also operating with a lot less information when you're yeah. working abroad. I, I, yeah. I, I think I think Gillibrand has the. And again, I don't like endorse this as like a criteria for political selection, but I think she has the like a female warmth. That's what I was trying to get to. And like yeah, yeah. a motherly kind of like 
I think I just think her I think her gender is almost like an asset in a way that it's not for other women. It wasn't for Hillary. Yeah. And because, I mean I obviously can't emphasize enough how much I disagree with that as like, you know, I don't know, I feel like obligated to say that as a male speaking on the subject. <laughs> but I think she has it. Well here's here's what I think. I think that the like Hillary Clinton definitely um was less of like this like maternal figure and was like definitely came across as like less empathetic and like less emotional. But at the same time was like much more centered on issues of gender and like, you know, things like the Me Too movement. Whereas, like, Christian Gillibrand is, like, way more aggressive on it. What do you mean? Just, like, aggressive and explicit about her, the fact that she's a woman and... Or aggressive and explicit about, like, issues like Me Too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, like, yeah. believing all survivors and, like, the equal I mean, pay she also thing. doesn't have a husband who is, like, a, you know, uh, convicted, uh, I don't know what to call that, That's but yeah. uh, an accused rapist. I mean, I wanted to, I think one of the strongest things Jill Brand ever did was explicitly call for Bill Clinton to like say that she he should have resigned. I think that was a very honest and brave thing to say, and I really respect her for it. Also, Kristen Jill Brand is a she has she has like young children, youngish, yeah, yeah, and like she talks about them very frequently, and like right. they're a very big like asset to her persona and image versus hillary at this point in her life was like you know like like when bill was elected chelsea was young right chelsea is no longer young um right so i think she definitely has that sort of and that's why like i hesitate to say that because i don't think that being like i don't think that in order for a woman to be able to get to office she has to be a maternal warm figure but i think that that's something the american population is like more right open and easily acceptable to versus like a quote-unquote like nasty woman or like like angry yeah very we'll a woman that shows like masculine traits we got nasty nancy baby nasty nancy exactly yeah i think the sort of like the litmus test for female politicians being like calm and tempered it's like similar to the litmus test of like african-american politicians having to be like articulate like it's a yeah no that sort of gets like arbitrarily put out there based on like stereotype but is a but it's nonetheless but yeah it's a test nonetheless and it's something that like those candidates have to pass yeah exactly in order for them to be able to be considered legitimate right like presidential candidates or officers in any sense of the word all right well that ends the betting round and i think that also ends the episode so thanks for being with us guys great to be back yeah and remember to tune in next time to figure out how if and when our bets change yeah absolutely thank you so much for listening as always feel free to email um or tweet us or ca- contact with any comments concerns or Stanford questions politics podcast at gmail.com and at s underscore think. p underscore politics we should work on that twitter handle yeah. <laughs> um feel free to send us any thoughts you have and to sign us off for the day we have a special correspondence from across the pond We want to give a huge shout out to KZSU, uh, the radio station here on campus, uh, for letting us use their equipment. Thank you so much. And if you're in the Bay Area, tune in to 90.1 FM uh, for amazing music, sports, news, and uh, other cool radio stuff from KZSU. Thanks.